is Urban Next Exchanges, a podcast by UrbanNext.net, the digital platform that aims to expand architecture to a thing cities. You are listening to an episode of Intertwined Environments, a series hosted by Martha Thorne, Dean of IE School of Architecture and Design. Each session explores the role of designers working on building sustainable cities on different scales. This is the last session of the series Intertwined Environments, five podcasts in which we discuss the natural, physical, and digital realms, and the ways that the integration of these can face current and future challenges. Architecture can be seen as a catalyst to move communities forward. Stefano Boeri and Flavio Tejada have explored the power of architecture and urban planning, not only to improve the context, but also to contribute to our collective memory of a city. Stefano Boeri is an architect and urban planner. He has been working in his own studio since 1999 and founded Stefano Boeri Architecti in 2011. Their work ranges from urban visions and master planning down to architecture of interiors and product design all with a focus on environmental implications. He's also been curator of numerous international exhibitions and has always had an interest in the relationship between city and nature. This led to his project called Milan Vertical Forest, the first prototype of a residential building featuring over 700 trees and 20,000 plants and a model of urban forestation that considers vegetation as an essential element integrated within architecture. Flavio Tejada is the European Cities Task Force Chair for Arab and also Director of the Master in Real Estate Development at IE School of Architecture and Design. During his career, he's gained global experience by working in many parts of the world. His vision always takes a holistic approach for strategic urban projects that allow cities to face the 21st century, creating a more open, democratic, innovative, and sustainable city. I was quite surprised when I realized the amount of people that every week are considered new urban inhabitants is 1.5 million every week, which means that you know every two weeks we need to build a Madrid city. That's the speed of the challenge that we as human beings we need to face. So is possible to balance? That's kind of one of the questions. Is possible to make a truly sustainable development with, in order to face this challenge? Because the speed and the way that this development is occurring, most of the growth is based on informal settlements. So when you go to Africa, you go to Latin America, South Asia, what you see is informal settlement is the massive way where people are happening already. Right now, it's considered about 1 billion people will be living in favelas in the next 10 years. How we, as designers, how the built environment, how the industry can face these challenges. Cities all over the world have to face an amazing and, and let's say, difficult challenge in the next future. So we are expecting in 2050, 260 millions of refugees that will escape from part of the world where desertification, absence of water, we can dramatically within a capital of their existence. So 
And we, we know that uh, 90, 95% of this process of, of migration will directly to the northern part of America, Europe, and Australia, basically. And we cannot, juries, uh, to not be prepared for this kind of uh, powerful process of, of migration, something that we uh, have never experienced. Something that in comparison to what is happening in Italy, South Italy, or South Spain, a completely different uh, proportion. It, it's really another scale. We uh, should put this issue at the center of our attention. And we have really to imagine how we could transform our metropolitan environment in order to absorb and accept this. In, in a way, I think that this is another reason that should uh, convince us that what we can do as citizens, as observer of the lifestyle and the little citizens and the future of metropolis, in order to tackle global warming, in order to tackle climate change, has become absolutely urgent and crucial. And from that point of view, I believe that uh, we have many things to do, <laughs> but for sure we have to start imagining a new model, a new idea, a new concept for the future of our metropolitan environment. So I, I believe we have to rebalance the relation with uh, living nature, for instance. That's, that's one of the most important issues. I believe that one possible future is really to transform our super dense and compact urban environment in something drastically different, where, where we see a more structure, which seems to the idea of an archipelago, where, let's say, the sea is a, a living nature that is coming back, uh, has a new kind of habitat for our urban environments. And also, the, the, let's say, from an energetical point of view, this and from the point of view of mobility, this could be a really a drastic change. I think you have introduced a few interesting topics on the equation, which is cities by history are supposed to be this center where power is concentrated, political power, economic power, social power. It's been kind of a magnet in order to attract, but now it's becoming kind of the main drivers for social exclusion. The way that we are building cities is not anymore a place for opportunities. When you go to many Latin American cities, for example, you see how you know the design is almost done in order to segregate different people. I believe inclusion is one of the drivers. And inclusion many times means accessibility. If you provide public transport accessibility, I think cities like Medellin has shown how providing access to people and good connections, and by introducing public transportation, you can introduce also libraries, education, medical centers, culture, and suddenly there is an urban renewal process coming bottom-up, which is not coming top-down, which I believe that's kind of one of the most interesting things. Urban inhabitants, they need to be integrated into the society. That's a critical aspect, because otherwise we're going to have the top class living under extremely good urban conditions, while we have a massive poverty areas, and these people, they are disconnected. I, I totally agree. I believe that the city is basically uh, the combination of two main factors. One is uh, the density of inhabited spaces, construction of volumes of buildings, and the other is the variety of the culture that are inhabiting this density, that makes transform this density in a living environment. So the intensity of a city, the intensity, the concept of intensity, it's absolutely connected to what you were saying. So to this idea of uh, 
the opportunity to create place for a real exchange of experiences of cultural heritage, what we are used to call the social capital. Now, social capital is that is that. So if we go back to what Putnam, who was an amazing sociologist, you know, the American sociologist, was saying uh, uh, some years ago about the relation between uh, bridging social capital and uh, bonding social capital, is exactly that. So we have to create an urban environment where every minority could have the opportunity to reinforce its specific identity in terms of cultural uh, legacy, in terms of many other aspects that are part of their tradition. But at the same time, they have to be conditioned to exchange their identity with the identity of the others. If there is not bridging such a capital, there is not city, it's a, it becomes ghetto, or it becomes a situation of totally dispersion, of uh, dilution of any intensity. I think it's absolutely important to, to do what you are proposing. So to imagine how we can, from one side, decentralize the, the citizen utilities and so on. And from another side, create an environment where we can try to protect and develop this kind of uh, mix, mixite of cultural and social behaviors. We're starting to see kind of ideal models that they are already happening in Japan, developed by companies, corporations, large corporations. We have seen similar examples in Canada, where the digital tech companies, they wanted to start to develop a part of the city. And we are starting to see who has the right to build the city. Probably in your experience, on, by building projects all over decades, that was kind of a symbol, I will say, back in the 20th century. There were a few players. There was political power, there was the banking sector, developers and the design sector. And that was it. How that was it. That was the complexity. There was an agreement of different few stakeholders. They were able to provide kind of the future of the city. But right now, with the opportunity of introducing the technology sector, which is extremely interesting, the infrastructure sector that also they want to know about, and also they are starting to consider not only to build infrastructure, but also the mobility as a service, introducing new systems where people, they can use different public transport systems, or they can use the scooters or the rent-to-car, all these kind of systems. So I believe the complexity of all these stakeholders is becoming a new kind of science in the city-making, where you need to understand all these complex drivers, where it's hard to get, because some of them, they are already in the process of emerging. So it's like, somehow we are, all of us, we're trying to identify how the future may look like. We are starting to see relevant models, the digital economy, they need new spaces, spaces that the cities, they are not ready to absorb. For example, the e-commerce. And e-commerce is not a traditional logistic area. It needs a completely different kind of employment level. They need automatization, they need robotics, energy consumption, data. So it's a completely different concept. We are still using all industrials and logistic areas in order to absorb this product. But the reality is there are exemplar models that are already happening in several cities across the globe that they are starting to emerge. So a new kind of set of districts based on the digital economy are emerging. And I believe that's also going to be part of the disruption that is going to happen in the coming decades, I would say. I don't know if you have seen what Rem Colas has tried to, to, let's say, in evidence with uh, the exhibition that he has opened. Basically, it was one year and a half ago, just at the beginning of the, of the pandemic at Guggenheim, New York, about countryside. And he was trying to, to let's say, to... It's interesting because just uh, 20 years ago with uh, Mutation, exactly the, the book that, and the exhibition and the catalog was done by Akhtar, 
we were, let's say, facing the explosion of the phenomenon of CTL all over the world. And uh, 20 years after that, we are, uh, let's say, observing uh, something which is quite different in terms of uh, process of decentralization, how the digital sphere has changed the geography of our urban environment. And, uh, well, if we just observe the 5G new uh, technologies, how they are re- re- that's completely changing the, the, the epicenters of uh, these networks, which are parts of a kind of technosphere now that are, let's say, covering the entire surface of the planet. But at the same time, we know that cities, if we could concentrate cities in one unique part of the planet, we will not cover more than the 3% of the surface of the emerging lands. But this 3% is capable to, let's say, control and extend its technological sphere, this technosphere everywhere. And what you were saying about e-commerce, it's a, it's a very important issue because uh, I believe that, uh, well, we are used to go from an extreme to another. And uh, what I see is that uh, we are now often, uh, let's say, uh, translating uh, the amazing opportunity that the digital sphere is offering us in the commerce field in a version which is completely erasing, canceling any needs of a physical presence, any needs of the presence of the body in the process of commerce. We are losing a, a very important part of our capacity of communication. Uh, which is also based on gestures, is also based on the, something which is implicit in our expression or the face impression. I believe that the future is a, it's a new balance between these two spheres in the commerce field. So between, uh, let's say, presence and we are used to say digital. There is a many possibility to combine that, but uh, uh, it's, a, it's such an important challenge for the future. Europe has declared the climate emergency which somehow after Paris, the agreement in Paris, all of us, we, we get a little bit frustrated about the inaction. You know, yeah. five years later, five years later, we have seen the Europe continent is planning to be the first carbon neutral continent by 2050. There is already kind of a enforced or empowerment to the different national countries in order to really get climate change policies. We put a lot of energy sometimes on trying to get the new construction to be, to be near zero or zero carbon, but what do we do with the existing city? Because the existing city is the one that is already having the massive emissions into the atmosphere. So I believe there is a massive opportunity of urban renewal, and probably energy and decarbonization could be an interesting driver also to introduce social integration back again into the city, reconnecting the existing city with nature. That's an opportunity by regenerating our streets, understanding the streets in a different way, and I believe, you know, we have seen the super in Barcelona, for example, you know, as project that is now being kind of understood. And it's kind of, let's take 19th century, 20th century grids, and let's rethink about it. What is the opportunity by bringing people back into the public realm and really interacting people? So I believe that's kind of a trend. But now it's the massive opportunity on decarbonization, thinking about the existing city, and then the way that we build new cities. And the way that we are building new cities, they need to be from the scratch. They need to be circular in the way that we build materials. So I believe all these drivers are starting to have certain level of impact in the industry. And the most interesting thing for me is not only the industry and the built environment, the construction industry, is when you start to listen about the real estate investment companies. Because 75% of the built environment in the cities is built by the real estate. 
they have a massive responsibility in the way that we build. Many times we put a lot of energy into the public sector, but the reality is infrastructure, schools, hospitals is 25% of the overall investment. 75% is coming from the private sector where they build hotels, offices, mixed-use communities. And, 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 and the private sector is also now, it's now protagonist also in the construction of infrastructure, the construction yeah. of collective big infrastructure. So also this one's uh, extremely clear separation between the private realm and the public one, it's, uh, it's over. Probably one of the leading examples in the world, and it could be very nice to listen a little bit of what was your connection when you were building the Bosco Verticale. What was your connection in order to really have an interesting debate between the developer and the designer in order to really get something that was not built before? Well, was was uh, at the same time uh, complicated. And honestly, it was quite linear. Uh, the developer was basically was Heinz, Mr. Heinz, who is, as you know, the owner of the largest real estate company in, in, the, in North America, in the state. And uh, he came in Milano and he has the idea to regenerate, uh, to, just to say, uh, one of the, let's say, most important abandoned area in the center of the city. But there was there since uh, the Second World War. So it was an area was bombed and then remained like an empty space for decades. And together with him, the, the Italian CEO of Heinz was Manfredi Catella. And uh, uh, he's uh, still a very young uh, developer. He's a developer and uh, with an international experience and uh, education. And uh, they came to me saying, well, we'd love you to imagine how we can uh, rebuild the part of this large environment and when I proposed them to realize uh, two towers, two high-rise buildings where the facade were not covered by glass, by a biological surface, by trees, plants, the answer was, uh, uh, I believe we are crazy, uh, but at the same time, uh, if you, uh, if you are, will be conditional, capable to answer in uh, three months to this list of questions, well, we can eventually follow your, your idea and transform it in reality. So they gave me the opportunity to, let's say, explore something that was not explored at that moment. And that was the opportunity to, to let's say, gather a bunch of experts in different, in different spheres, from ethology to botany uh, to structural engineer and so on. And we tried to, to, to answer to some very simple and uh, at the same time complicated issues like uh, how... We can imagine that uh, a tree or a root of the tree could resist to extreme windy conditions, or we study a new system of irrigation, uh, we, how we combine renewable energies with the presence of plants at different floors, and how we can select plants in relation to the different condition of humidity, to exposure to the sun, and how we can imagine that this kind of double facade, which is biological, could be balanced with the necessity of the sunlight to enter the interior of the apartment also in winter when, when the sun is so just to give an idea we were working trying to yeah. let's say, explore a new field and when we did back when we were back i was back and uh, with this list of answers they were extremely coherent and and honestly they were let's say doing they did what they promised to do so we started to to enter into the detailed phase of the construction and so on now Vertical Forest in Milano is a political manifesto. It's a simple demonstration that it's possible to do something that was not done before. Uh, 
with all its uh, its uh, let's say limits because we, I think it's a it's a case study so it's an experiment and like all the experiments you have very to have to, to follow them we are following uh, their life the life of the plants the life of the tenants the life of the materials is extremely interesting what we are observing and we try to learn from the mistakes from the limits but also from the well, not unexpected successful of that building in order to, to make uh, new versions that are more advanced. My first time that I was in Milano when, when it was already built, the vertical forest, my reaction about the complexity, the technical complexity, was something that only few buildings can really provide, which is the proud making, which is not a place making. I could feel how Milan could have a new image which was going to be recognized landmark, is, yeah. at least for the society of Milan to say, yes, we can do it. We can regenerate Porta Nuova in a completely new way. We as collective, we have an icon, we have an image. We have seen this in Bilbao for the regeneration of the Guggenheim, which is a completely different kind of architecture, but architecture has this power. Yeah. We can change people's mind yeah. and we can take societies that they may be or under a shock or under a stress and start to change the dynamic in a positive traction. So I think we as designers, together with the investment corporations, companies like Heinz and others, and the public sector and the society, we need to continue pushing because, yes, we can. We can change the perception of the city. We can change the way that we used to move. We can change the climate impact of our cities. We can change the social exclusion. I think we can. I think you're right, and it's, uh, it's uh, absolutely true. So sometimes it happens. It's quite rare, but it's, uh, it happens. And uh, let's hope that it will happen more and more, but it's exactly this, yeah. I think that you know, the pandemic um, has enormously augmented our sense of fragility. If we should now, uh, let's say, share what is a, the most uh, common feeling, uh, I will answer saying it's fragility. So we, we have understood that some of the uh, precondition or more stable uh, have been uh, drastically by 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 what's happening. So if we simply consider how we were establishing a relation with living nature a few months ago and uh, how the presence of microorganisms inside our bodies has, oh, has been a shock, a real shock, and uh, obliging us to consider that living nature is, is inside us. It's not something which we can, uh, let's say, outside our body, outside our homes, outside our cities or perimeter control thanks to, to fences in, in form of parks or gardens or so on. So I, I believe that this bouleversement, this uh, strong, uh, uh, let's say, shock could open new opportunities or rethink in the relation we live in nature also in our urban environment. Cities are the habitat that our species have as the main and unique habitat in the last uh, centuries. At the same time, uh, I believe that there is quite, a, in the public opinion, there is now a, a different perception of what is possible to do in order to demineralize our urban environments you know, and, or vegetalize them. So in few months, we have seen uh, the public realm of our city totally empty and uh, all that it was the uh, interiors of the city who was densely inhabited by our behavior, of our passion, of our lives. In a few months, we have seen uh, the public space uh, 
invaded by other species, non-domestic species, that finally had the opportunity to extend their habitat. And uh, in a few months, we have seen uh, first the retraction of uh, uh, domestic life inside the building. And in few, just after the lockdown, this kind of great extroversion of domestic life in the streets, in the square, you were saying. So amazing. But the city is the same. The physical outcome of the city has remained the same. So it's an amazing moment, I believe. It's, uh, I, we I believe we are, we are changing the moment. We are coming from a low logic based on juices. You know, all the zoning and all the planning is based on let's assign this is what is going to happen in this part of the city. Yeah. So all our method, <laughs> all our theory is just based on pre-assumptions so now something that we are starting to explore is how future-proof our, our projects. So we need to start to explore several scenarios, which probably none of them will happen, but at least they have certain level of feasibility or a combination of them. And then taking our plans against this scenario proofing and say, okay, if the economy is going in this direction, if society is moving in this direction, if ecology is moving that or policies are coming in this direction, how robust, how resilient is our project? Because this is what right now clients, real estate investors, they want to know. It's also something that should uh, push us to reconsider public policies and public policy. And, and uh, so it's uh, how the new idea of plan and, and of uh, planning has uh, as an ongoing process that has to be uh, let's say, reoriented in real time. So... It's such a complicated issue, all what is about planning today. No, it's, it is true. But for this reason, we need visions. For this reason, we need what you were saying about uh, the projection of a collective imaginary of, on, a, on a vision that has to be shared. And uh, the capacity of a vision to catalyze the energy in one direction is important. You were talking about Milano. Milano has changed so much in the last years, and that was done. Yes, in, in a very small part, thanks to episodes like the vertical forest. But the Expo in Milano 2015 yep. in itself was nothing of so relevant. It was a commercial event, but it was a, 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 let's say so important from a symbolic point of view because for the first time last century, the city has decided to have uh, one uh, target who was common who was shared by all the public and private stakeholders and was also fixed in a very specific moment of the history of the city evolution. And that was used as a catalyzer to concentrate energies, trajectories that were used to be extremely individual and a collective target. And this has changed Milano in a few years. So uh, that's just to confirm uh, how much the symbolic dimension is important, still so important, and how our work as architects, sometimes doing one thing, more the larger plan, could change the life of millions of people. I would like to thank Stefano and Flavio for pushing back the boundaries of how we understand cities, the built environment, and the way we collectively inhabit our planet. If you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in this conversation, I highly recommend you check out the website of the IE Center for Sustainable Cities. It's where the School of Architecture and Designs seeks to take an innovative approach to the challenges of the city of today and tomorrow.
This space was produced by I School of Architecture and Design, its Center for Sustainable Cities and UrbanNext.net. Check out the description for the links related to the discussion from this session. If you like the episode, follow us on your preferred podcast platform and share it with your network. The Urban Next Exchanges series is created by Ricardo de Besa and myself, Marta Bouges. Feel free to contact us via email at inputbox at urbannext.net if you want to comment on the podcast or share your work with us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.